Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by uh, Top Producer. I am Paul Neefe, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with Steve Klumper from AgriStrategies LLC. And, you know, Steve, I better make sure, did I pronounce your last name correctly or did I butcher it? No, that sounds great, Paul. Thank you. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's like my last name, Neefer. You know, there's not many of us in the United States. And uh, I was uh, doing a, 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 a live interview at RFD TV in Nashville about five years ago, and I happened to be looking up at the teleprompter, and they had my name up there, but it wasn't spelled, you know, N-E-I-F-F-E-R. It was spelled K-N-E-E and then F-U-R, so Nefer, <laughs> and that's how it's pronounced. And I thought, because so when people ask me how you pronounce my, my name, I just do that little analogy, and people seem to remember it pretty well. So, uh, um, but uh, Steve, I was looking forward to this uh, uh, conversation, but as we do on all of our podcasts or try to, we always like to start off with your background. So where did you grow up, your college and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I uh, grew up on a grain and livestock farm in Jasper, Indiana, southwest part of the state. I was the oldest of five and all of us ended up graduating from Purdue's ag school. Um, 10 years after getting my undergraduate degree from Purdue and Ag Econ, I went back to Purdue and got my master's in their food and agribusiness MBA program. And so, uh, so yeah, the first job in my career, I was spent the first 20 years really working for seven different agricultural banks, uh, working with ag producers, processors, suppliers across the country as I was providing solutions for those clients and building ag loan portfolios for the various banks. So were, were most of those ag banks based there in that Midwest, Indiana, that part of the country, or did you expand out into my neck of the woods? Sure. Yeah. So um, I uh, started in Indiana, uh, was in Colorado, Missouri, Georgia, Kentucky, Wisconsin uh, before moving to Michigan and and most of those were national portfolios so I uh, got the opportunity to work with lettuce producers in Yuma Arizona and egg producers up in Maine and everything in between <laughs> that's uh, yeah the, they definitely moved you around a little bit of course when you work for a national bank or a national organization um, they typically do move you around. I was having a podcast with Dave Jansen uh, out of Champaign, Illinois, and he had started with Cargill, and he was in like Delaware, and then uh, I can't remember somewhere else, and then he finally up and uh, ended up in Toledo, and then after five years, he said, "Okay, I've had enough." Yeah, we've been in Michigan uh, uh, since two thousand and nine, and and uh, and it kind of feels like. Uh, home and it's probably the longest stint we've been anywhere so uh so this this is probably home for a long time what what part of michigan so i'm in central michigan in in east lansing actually uh kind of where i'm sitting so oh how does a purdue boilermaker handle being in the home of the spartans well i've my guess is by the time I'm done, I'll have four MSU degrees in, in my family with my four boys. I've got uh, two done, one on the way, and one still in high school. And so, um, you know, it's 
It's uh, the first ag uh, land grant university, so I respect them for that. <laughs> well, four boys. I, I I have four boys, and at least my youngest now is almost thirty. So uh, I, I'm done with the uh, with the college. That's 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 called getting a pay raise, you know, when they finally graduate. <laughs> that's so, right. But uh, um, now you were in banking for about. 20 some years, but now you're not really in banking. So what is what is your current role, the company, and 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 what are you doing for farmers? Sure. Yeah. So uh so I was, you know, I was in banking for for actually about 30 years. And you know, the first 20 years I was kind of on that relationship management side, you know, sitting at the kitchen table and and working with clients and and trying to uh, bring them into the bank and keep them in the bank, and and then the last ten years since moving to to Michigan, um, I was building a credit underwriting and approval team. So I was more on the credit side of the business, and and so you know in 2009 I left banking um, and wanted to kind of get back out on the relationship side, sitting at those kitchen tables and. And I decided I wanted to do something and build something for myself this time and work directly with with clients. So so since then, um, I've been working with agricultural producers and suppliers, retailers, grain elevators, kind of, you know, across the board in the ag space, kind of using my historical, you know, knowledge and perspectives um, and just really helping them make decisions um using their financial information to to make decisions um maybe it's a short-term kind of transaction that we gotta kind of figure out um or some of those have turned into longer term i'll call them contract cfo roles where where i'm there and we're we're going through numbers every month uh with their shareholders with their management teams with their lenders um, making better decisions, communicating better with with all of those stakeholders uh, across the ag uh, spectrum. You know, you've been in banking slash doing this service, like you say, for close to 30 years. What are the trends that you're seeing as far as the the professionality, and that's probably not a correct word, but professionality of the financial information that maybe you as a banker were years ago versus now, or or what is that getting better? I mean, I, I in a lot many areas, I've seen it's gotten better. In other areas, uh, I mean, it's almost the proverbial uh, they do it on a little spreadsheet and it's it's handwritten. Yeah, and and I think you know, depending on the needs of the organization. Um, and the complexity and the partners that they're involved with, um, it can be as simple as as what you talked about and what we've you know seen many many times. Um, but for those organizations that have partners, i.e., lenders or other investors um, that kind of you know need to keep an eye on things and 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 they need to first and foremost kind of keep an eye on things on on their business and making the right decisions for their business um, you know the industry and and the economy and the risks that we're taking today um, force us 
to do a better job, be more professional kind of in our financial management and you know, with our partners and, and internally. And so, um, so it's, it's gotten better um, because it's um, needed to get better. And, and those that um, haven't managed their business as well and didn't have um, the ability to withstand some of the risks that they were taking on you know, or, or having a tough time. And, and, you know, that's, that's driven some of this as, as well. And, and so it's kind of survival of, of the fittest, if you will. Well, and I think, uh, you know, the last few years we've had pretty good pricing, but we've seen input pricing across the board, so to speak, although we know fertilizer is starting to come back down, but, you know, labor is up, cash rent is up, uh, chemicals are up, and now pricing is starting to go down, at least compared to what it was last year. So I, I think having good financial information and having it more timely is even more important than it was maybe even 10 years ago. Yeah, it's especially in this transition where where we're kind of, you know, looks like we're going to get a little whipsawed and, and the price we're receiving for our products is going down um, and going down faster than the cost it takes to produce. And, and so anytime you're in that situation, um, you know, you can, you can accept the fact that I'm not going to make any money or you can do something about it. And, and maybe you still can't make any money, but, but you've minimized the risk. You've accepted, here's how much I'm willing, you know, to lose um, for the long run, if you will, and and you know, just going into it blind and assuming that it's going to be bad and kind of not knowing what your options are going to be um, is is an uncomfortable position to be in. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, now, have you been involved in any succession? You know, going from the younger generation or from the older generation to the younger generation? Yeah, and you know, I think every uh, client that I have is going through that in some respects because, you know, they're, they're all family owned businesses. They all have, you know, family goals that they want to keep that farm successful. And, and, you know, I've got some that, that have just kind of switched to the next generation and, and it was kind of fun to watch them as they kind of went through, you know, their, their planning process and, and, you know, hopefully they have enough time to kind of go through that as a family and, and figure out what do we want and how is this going to be structured and, and, you know, what do the parents want? What do the parents need? What's the next generation want? What do they need? And, and understanding both of those. Um, and then, you know, I call it kind of painting a picture because first it was going to be putting a puzzle together, but that assumed we knew what it was going to look like, and and yeah. we never do. Um, every family's different. The needs are different. Uh, whether it's you know uh, children that are on the farm, children that are off the farm, all kinds of different. We're dealing with humans, right? And and so a lot of clients right now um, are kind of going through. And how do we make this transition? And and you know, mom and dad are willing to help usually. Um, but they don't know how, and the younger generation 
needs to really kind of come together. And that's where I kind of help them. What's your business plan? What do you want? What's your plans? And then what do you need from mom and dad? Maybe they can't, you know, provide it all. And we have to kind of, you know, come to a compromise somewhere, but, but what do you need? But that next generation's got to want it. They've got to want to, you know, work for it. They got to know what their options are and what their limitations are. Um, and so that's a fun part of working with both those generations to, to try to find that solution. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what I notice more about this generation now, and I know that's a general term, is as compared maybe to the prior generation or my parents' generation or even my generation, because I'm I'm definitely one of the baby boomers, is that this generation seems to want it and they want it now and they want to know how it's going to happen. Whereas, you know, if I was working with my dad, hey, it all work out, you know, sort of that uh, type of scenario. Do you see the same thing out there or, or not? Yeah, I think there is there is so much at risk now. I mean, every generation has has a bigger pie to to try to kind of divvy up, right? And 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 there's so much risk now, and and you know, it's hard for that younger generation um, to kind of step in like the older generation did with their prior generation and and kind of you know take things over it's just it's more complexity a lot more scale a lot more partners to kind of you know work with um and so they they want it they want to kind of see it they're willing to to work for it um but they want to kind of have a plan in place and 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 they admit that they don't know it all and they want somebody to kind of teach them and and bring them along and 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 everything but you know make sure that they kind of understand you know am i working for a paycheck for the next 10 years um or am i working to to build something here and and they can then decide um if that's kind of you know the plan that they want to work on or if that doesn't work for them yeah 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 it, it's funny when I grew up, you know, like you, I grew up on a farm. I was the oldest of three and uh, and uh, I figure I did OK if my dad didn't yell at me. So, you know, that was that that, that was the extent of the communication at times was, Dave, okay, son, go do this. And if I don't yell at you, then you've done a good job. And And I think, you know, you mentioned kind of growing up on the farm, you know, you were there and a lot of people in that generation you were there every day and that that was your training and you kind of saw it and maybe there was different levels of, you know, communication and sharing information and, and everything. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, the next generations going off to college, um, maybe they get a job off the farm first, which I think brings great perspective, but but when they come back to the farm, they missed that time, that kind of shoulder to shoulder, working in the field, working in the shop kind of time that that you learn a lot of things. And so um, and then by that time, the older generation, you know, is is assuming they should know a bunch of stuff, but they really haven't been exposed to it. So how do we facilitate that that knowledge transfer is is the biggest and the hardest thing. And, and if you can get that done and get it done right, 
um, you now have a great management team that can take the family farm to the next generation. On your role, is, is it primarily based in that Michigan area or maybe within two or 300 miles of where you're currently located? Or because of technology and everything else, you have a client base across the country? I'm, I'm just curious on that. Sure, yeah. So, so when I started my business, uh, in primarily 2020, um, great year to start a business, by the way. Um, yeah. I, uh, I focused on Michigan and Indiana. That's, that's where I've, uh, grown up, spent a lot of time, have a lot of contacts. Um, and a lot of my clients are, are kind of, you know, in this, this area. Um, but as I've kind of grown, met other people, you know, I've had clients in, in Georgia, in Iowa, um and and elsewhere and so it it depends right you know some of my michigan clients i usually only see them over zoom um and so if that's that's the most you know preferable way and efficient way to communicate then we do that and and if if i need to be there in person and that's that what's what's works the best for that client then i will be there you know in in person but but that limits kind of how much you can do and how far you can go, um, you know, if if needed, can jump on a plane and, and go somewhere. But that's uh, usually not the best uh, use of everybody's time. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I know, I think it, I, I, I was trying to figure out how many states I had farm clients in, and I think it was over 30. So, uh, uh, and a lot of them, because part of what I really enjoy about uh, my career is, and I think you're a little bit the same way, is actually going out to the farm operation, seeing how it operates, uh, you know, seeing what equipment they have, if they really are into green or red or yellow, whatever color equipment uh, they like. And, uh, you know, and actually I was, oh, about a month ago, I was out at a friend of mine and they had just got some tractors in and uh, they let me climb into the tractor cab and we were sort of lining it up for a photo and the one tractor I think I got in had three hours of, of time on it so that was sort of fun. Would, would you have known how to how to even get it to move Paul? Uh, you know I if, if I hadn't grown up on a farm uh, that would have been uh, a little bit interesting and actually this this person let me operate the combine a couple of years back and uh, uh, it's sort of like riding a bike, you know, once once you learn how to operate a combine or drive a tractor, it, it tends to come back once they show you, okay, where's the gears, where's the throttle, you know, because that's all different on all these all these different machines. Yeah, yeah, my uh, my last bike that I rode was a John Deere 4440, and I, I spent a big part of my youth in that tractor cab, and so... I, I wonder if I can even operate uh, some of these machines today uh, uh, with all the technology. They it take a little bit to get me up to speed, I think. Of course, the funny thing is I always tease the Flatlanders, which you're definitely a Flatlander. Anything in Michigan and Indiana, I would call a Flatlander. And then I start talking about being on a combine on a 45 or 50% slope, sliding it down the hill. And they said, we want nothing to do with that. So I'm like, uh, well, that's, you know, that's the fun stuff when you're out in our neck of the woods. There you go. There you go. Hey, we're, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what type of operation uh, would be most appropriate for a part-time CFO. Uh -huh. 
How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Robo Agri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Robo Agri Finance. back everyone to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host, Paul Nefer, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Steve Klimper from Michigan. So Steve, you had mentioned that for some of these operations, you are sort of a part-time CFO, that you review the records on a monthly basis, you give advice and so on. Is there sort of a sweet spot for a size of a farm operation that really could take advantage of, of a part-time CFO? You know, it it depends on the farm and what their needs and what their gaps are, right? I mean, most, most farms and ag businesses, they don't have the time, the capabilities, the perspectives, the resources, or or the desire to do all the tasks that it takes to, to run a business. So they contract with you know, agronomists, nutritionists, marketing specialists, accountants, mechanics, financial consultants, and and others to fill in their gaps in their management team. So, so as a contract CFO, um, what are those gaps that are needed? And and you know, sometimes that you know isn't a lot, and then maybe it's just more of kind of a financial advisory type role because all of the main financial tasks and and everything are kind of getting done pretty well. Um, But sometimes, um, you know, we we just don't want to hire a full-time person and we want to bring in some some high-level expertise uh, to kind of help us um, with the financial side of of the business. And, And so that can be you know, a uh, you know monthly where we're really kind of going through the the actual results and how does that compare to the budget and what what do we need to kind of tweak on the budget? Who do we need to communicate with? And and so so it it really depends on the organization. I'd say if you have a gap that you see or you think you might have, you probably should fill it regardless of kind of the size of the operation and and that can be done on a on a limited basis, um, and for bigger, more complex organizations that that need somebody that um, you know can can help um, in that respect for them, um, you know that can be more involved in in an engagement. And so it's it really it really kind of you know depends on the needs and and really making sure that you're filling those gaps so that uh, your organization isn't you know, missing an opportunity or, or putting yourself at undue risk. Is, 
on those services, is that typically a per hour or do you sort of do a flat fee just depending on the situation? I, I'm just sort of curious for the farmers out there that might be interested in something like this. Sure. I, and I think, you know, various consultants do it um, in different ways. Um, you know, they can do it on a per hour basis. Um, I don't really like to try to figure out if I'm thinking about a client, whether I should be charging them or, or not. And so, you know, my, my approach is, is to work with the client and, and, and we usually start with a whatever one to four month kind of um, initial uh, project, if you will. There's usually something that kind of instigates them wanting to, to have some help. Um, and so what's that project and, and what's the time frame? Um, I basically deliver to them a proposal and say, yeah, here's, here's kind of what I've heard. Here's what you need, what you want. Here's what I can deliver. And over this period of time with these deadlines, um, and here's the all in cost. And so that way, neither one of us have to figure out what the cost of this is going to be. We can agree to it up front. We agree to the deliverables. We get through those whatever one to four months, and then we see what's what's the next project, or or is this more of an ongoing kind of thing? And and so you break it down in chunks based on what you know that you're going to need, um, and especially that first time to just get everybody comfortable with, um, you know, both sides of the aisle. Okay, and um, you know, I would typically do this at the end, but I think I'll do it now. If somebody is interested in your services, what's the best way of contacting you? I think probably the easiest is uh, go to my website, uh, agristrategiesllc.com. And so it's A-G-R-I strategiesllc.com. And my contact information is on there. Um, you can read a little bit about some of the things that I'm that I'm up to. So that's probably the easiest way. Okay, perfect. And then... Uh, I think we'll go into a couple of the questions I typically always ask at the end of the of the podcast. And and first, who was your mentor in in your career, or one of your mentors? Yeah, um, it would be hard to kind of um, pick pick one. I, I seem to learn something from everyone I meet, every every client, every person at at those clients that I talk with. I learned something, right? And and I and I add what I learned to kind of that toolbox. And so so I enjoy just gathering that feedback from various perspectives um, to kind of help me make decisions. And then then I enjoy giving that feedback to others to help them with with their decisions. And and so um, you know, hopefully I'm I'm one of those people that uh, people say they've they've been helped by uh, you know in the past, but Nothing, uh, nothing in a major way, but it's it's all the little ways that add up. And then, uh, so you have four boys, couple in college, one or two still at home. You got a, a business you're running. Do you have time for any hobbies? And if so, what are they? <laughs> um, I would say um, it it involves spending time with the family, my friends, preferably with a bourbon in my hand and some meat on the smoker. That's probably the <laughs> ultimate uh, gathering. Um, but then kind of for myself, um, I enjoy running. I enjoy kind of that one-on-one uh, -on -one kind of competition. And matter of fact, this weekend, I'm running my first full marathon. So, uh, so wish me luck. 
Well, I, I will. That's uh, I I just never have had the desire to run a marathon, <laughs> but I did uh, walk 18 holes of golf yesterday and got my 20,000 steps in. And I am going to go play pickleball later this morning. So uh, I am getting a little exercise in. So uh, and then Those are uh, all important. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Um, my wife would say no, because I pretty well can fall asleep um, and, and sleep pretty well. Um, but I would say that, that my mind wakes me up earlier than my body wants to some mornings because I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, things that are going on with, with me or my clients. Um, you know, nothing, nothing specifically, but that that morning time for me is really when I can be most creative and, and have a clear mind after a good night's sleep. And, and so, like I said, sometimes the mind wants to get started before the body wants to get out of bed, but, uh, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm a little bit like that. Uh, for me sleeping in, if about past five 30, I'm, I'm, that's, uh, that's way too late in the morning for me. So, uh, and, and you're right. Uh, I know when I was a full-time CPA doing tax work, you know, during tax season, I'd be getting up at 2.30 or 3 a.m. because that was when I was going to be the most productive. So uh, it's just one of those things. And then, and finally, what is your definition of success in farming? Um, well, I think in farming, like, like anything else in life, the, the first part of success is defining it. And, and, and that's like, you know, what does success look like for you? What are your goals? And so everybody's got, you know, a different, you know, goals that they have. And, and sometimes I have to remember that as a financial consultant that, you know, the goals of how I spend my time and who I spend my time with might not maximize my financial results but it's maximizing my overall happiness and health and the goals that I, that I want to do. And, and so that's, that's important to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, that journey of achieving that success um, is, is the, the important kind of second step. Where am I going? Um, and then, having that journey to get that defined success, um, executing that plan, that's that's when success really kind of shows up for me. When, when we took the time to kind of set the stage and then we still had to do the hard work to kind of accomplish our goals. Um, but once we do that, um, success is achieved and, and uh, there's a lot of pride and happiness to go along with that. Yeah, that's uh, you know one of my wife's favorite sayings. Matter of fact, I think it's plastered around our house a couple of different spots. She goes, uh, "Life is not measured by the breaths you take, but by the moments that take your breath away," or something like that. And yeah. and I think that's true. And in, in life, it's true in farming. You know, you got to have those moments that you really appreciate uh, what you've done, and and hopefully you've been a contributor to society, which I think most farmers. Do I mean they're feeding the world, so that's a very important, uh, uh, you know, accomplishment in my opinion. Yep, I totally agree. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Steve, before we sign off? Um, yeah, I would just say that you know, 
I'm happy to, to talk with anybody. I've, I've got plenty of people that I've met over the last couple of years that we just kind of stay in contact and, and uh, kind of share ideas every once in a while. And, and I enjoy that and learn from it. And, and hopefully they do as, as well. So feel free for anyone to, to reach out and, and uh, we can have a conversation and see if there's anything I can do to help you. Okay. Well, again, Steve, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day. And this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nefer, your host, signing off.